Let me pray again briefly. Lord, Lord, we need your help for anything we do, anything that counts or matters ultimately or spiritually. And we do ask your spirit to be at work in us and through us this morning. God, would you transform us a little bit today by the truth of your word? Would you help us to be more thoughtful in how we think of, see, uh, speak of your name? In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the text this morning, I wanted to qualify again what we're doing as we go through the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. As human beings, frail, as the song just said, we tend to err on either or both sides of almost any issue. And so as you go through any portion of Scripture, it's easy to err either sort of in a sense of ending up being a legalist in which you're trying to dot I's and cross T's in a way that God's not so concerned about, or where we simply say it really doesn't matter and we do as we please. So this is just a reminder. As we look through the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, we are not looking at a list of rules that we are hoping to keep so we incur God's favor. We cannot incur more of God's favor than we already have as Christians. You know, in Colossians, Paul says, it's as if God took all our sins, they were written down, and he nailed them to the cross with Christ. So your sins and mine as believers in Jesus have already been fully settled. All the rules we break, all the moral laws of God we don't live up to, those have already all been taken care of when Christ died on the cross in our place. So we're not looking at the ten words or the ten commands as an ex- Eternal criteria by which we try and measure up to God's standards. We don't. God's already taken care of that. You don't measure up. Jesus died in our place. That's taken care of. So now we talked about this in the in the introduction, but I want to make sure we remember as we go through. By faith in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We stand. Our standing is perfect before God the Father in Christ. Jesus, Jesus, uh, standing before the Father. That's our standing before the Father. God cannot love us any more than he does right now. We cannot be any more fully accepted than we are in Christ right now. And it's it's as God's sons and daughters that we seek to please him by doing the things that please him. And so as we look at the ten words or the New Testament commands, we're seeking to give validity to our claim of faith and to say, Lord, we love you by living that out in our life. And so as we look at the ten words, the ten commandments, It's not that exterior set of rules that we don't live up to anyway. It's as sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Christ, trying to live that transformed life, being more and more fully what he wants us to be, and loving him as he wants us to love him. Okay, so with that caveat, we're off into Exodus 20, verse 7 this morning. Let me start first, though, with a very short story. Out of Leviticus 24... You'll miss this if you're reading quickly. It's short. Two men, in the Exodus group, two men fought with each other. And as they struggled, one blasphemed the name of Yahweh. He cursed in God's name. And there were witnesses to this. And the witnesses know this is not a good thing. And so they took the man to Moses and say, hey, this is what happened. This is what he did. What do we do? Moses takes the matter to God, and this is what God told Moses at verse 14, Leviticus 24. Uh, Bring the one who is cursed outside the camp. Let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. 
They're acting as witnesses. We saw what this guy did. We heard what he said. We're witnesses. And then let all the congregation stone him to death. You're to execute him by stoning for using my name in vain. The story ends at verse 23 when it says, the sons of Israel did just as Yahweh had commanded. So this man was stoned to death. Uh, It's a brutal way to die. Stoned to death for the words out of his mouth. You know, in the United States, when we think and talk and, and appreciate freedom of speech, this doesn't quite look like freedom of speech in Yahweh's day under the ten words, does it? This guy was put to death for what he said, what he said about God and God's name. It sounds harsh, sounds strange to our ears, and so part of what we'll try and answer this morning is what's at stake? Why the death penalty for using God's name in a way he doesn't want it used? What's at stake? What's behind this? We are in the third of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, Exodus 20, verse 7, this short one sentence. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I've mentioned this each week, but when you read Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, that's transliteration for Yahweh, which is the way I usually pronounce it or say it. Do not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Don't take my name in vain, God says. To take, just on the level of definition, to take God's name means to lift it, to carry it, to use it in such a way that we draw attention to it. And then vanity or attaching vanity to the name means that somehow in the using of God's name, Yahweh's name, we are attaching it to falsehood, emptiness, something that's deceitful, it's worthless, or lies. So God said to Israel, don't use, don't lift up my name such that it's attached to what is false, empty, deceitful, or less than fully true and consistent with my name and my character. We could state it positively like this, Yahweh's name should only be used consistent with his character and his will. Yahweh's pers- God's personal name, Yahweh. <clears throat> if you remember in Willie Shakespeare's day, Romeo and Juliet, names were important. And so in that play, Romeo says, a rose by any other name, would smell as sweet, and he's inferring here that the name of the plant, or the person in this case, really isn't that significant, is it? And you know, if you're talking about plants, a rose by any other name would probably be fine. But that does not apply to God and his name. God's not saying names are interchangeable and names are meaningless. In God's case, that is not true. I think one of the primary reasons why we grapple with this command and others like it is this. Um, God is so holy, and we are not. And even as Christians, our minds still lack the kind of transformation that allows us to see God as he really is. And, you know, thankfully one day when we have resurrection bodies, when we stand before God, we'll see him as he is, we'll be fully transformed, and we'll get this. We'll understand more of this. 
But you know, as you think about who Yahweh is, who the God of Israel is, the creator of the heavens and the earth, this eternally existent one, his name means, you know, Yahweh, I am that I am. I will be that I am. I'm the one with no beginning. I'm the one with no end. I speak and the universe as we know it, immeasurable to us. God simply speaks and it exists. This is the God who in the scenes in Isaiah 6, for instance, or Revelation, he's so holy, he's so magnificent, he's so other than anyone and anything else that when those special angelic creatures in heaven look at him, all they can do is say, holy, holy, holy. God is so unique, he's so awesome, he is so other than us, so fully set apart from sin that he says, you may not use my name in a way that degrades my person. God's character requires that we use his name consistent with who he is. He cannot allow us to use his name with impunity in a way that degrades the name and the person it reflects. So when we use God's name, we are inferring something about God. And when we use God's name properly, we are honoring a God who desires to be honored and who requires that we honor him because he must be honored. And when we attach his name to vanity, he is saying, this is something by my very nature and my character I cannot and will not allow. You know, this command, perhaps in part because of the story in Leviticus 24, was taken so seriously by the Jews that the Jews in the Old Testament era usually would not say the name of God. They would not pronounce this name, I am that I am. They would not say Yahweh or Jehovah, our transliteration. They would say the name. We bless you in the name, by the name. They would not even say it because they were afraid they would dishonor God if they did. So the name represents the person and to represent the person, Yahweh by name, he says, I'm going to hold you accountable for the way you use my name and attach things to my person. Now, if we think today, what does it look like? How today would I take God's name in vain? How would I attach God's name to vanity? I th- there's some obvious ways and there's some less obvious ways. And usually if I think of someone taking God's name in vain, I suspect you do too. It's someone who's cursing by God's name, right? Someone who's using God to damn things or people or situations they don't like. Someone who's using God's name as an exclamation, perhaps. But it's some form of cursing. It's not, it has nothing to do with a positive comment about God or what's going on. It's taking God's name and using it in a very common way. It's just an epithet. We don't like something, so you use God's name. That's probably the most frequent thing I can think of. Leviticus 19.12 mentions, God there says, don't swear falsely by my name. Don't say something and use me as the one who's qualifying what you say as true. So a couple ways this could look. If I stood in a court of law and put my hand on a Bible and said, I'm telling the truth, God help me, so help me God. I'm swearing by God's name that what I say is true. That's one way I could do this or break this command. Also in Jeremiah 14, 14, there's another way to break this command. 
saying this is the truth by God's name would be one way, but also saying that the words I speak are God's words when they are not would be another way of swearing falsely by Yahweh or by God's name. So there, God says, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I haven't sent them. I haven't commanded them. So guys were standing up and they were saying, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. And God hadn't spoken. That was a blatant lie. So saying we're telling the truth using God's name or saying that we're declaring God's words from God when God hasn't spoken, both of those would break this command. We would be swearing falsely in God's name. Uh, Using Jesus Christ as an exclamation or a curse, uh, probably as familiar as using God's God by the name God, would be doing the same thing. We'd be using the name of God as he was given in the incarnation to do the same thing. You know, most of us are not swearing by Yahweh today, but we're using either generic word for God, God, or we're using the uh, Jesus name from the incarnation to do the same thing. So when we curse, when we lie, when we utter God's name as an exclamation, when we promise in God's name or say that the thing we're sharing is from God and it's not, All those are ways of taking God's name in vain, of attaching falsehood, deceitfulness, vanity to God's name. That's the obvious list. Just as in the the realm of idolatry, you remember we said there's some obvious ways that we practice idolatry and there's some less obvious ways. And the less obvious list is longer. And that's true here too, I think, for taking God's name in vain. Philip Ryken writes in his book uh, called Written in Stone, a book about the Ten Words or Ten Commandments, there are many ways to take God's name in vain. We do it when we say, praise the Lord, or use some other Christian cliche without really meaning it. We do it when we slap God's name on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, and we use it as a slogan to boost sales. We do it when we use his word to make jokes or when we write Christian songs with trite lyrics. All of these would be ways in which we're attaching the holy God's name to something trite or meaningless, something less honorable than God is. He also talks about a couple other ways that we may take God's name in vain. One is, he says, the innocent curses when we say gosh instead of God. When we say, gosh darn it, sounds a lot like asking God to damn someone or something. When we say, good Lord, as an exclamation, all things Christians, I'm sure folks in this room, we we do thoughtlessly. He says those would fall short of the use of God's name also, I would agree. The last of his trio here, he says, when our worship is casual, careless, and insincere. In this way, we dishonor God's name. You know, when we stand up, when we gather together and declare God's goodness in songs in which our heart is not in it, it's perfunctory, it's shallow. He says that dishonors the name, I would agree also. The next set, one of the large lists... Uh, to talk about on this, I want to be. I need to speak to two two sides of the same thing here. Christians often want to claim that God is doing more or saying more than He really is. On one hand, it's one side of things. 
On another side of things, if God's really speaking or really acting, we really want to acknowledge that. We really want to honor him or thank him for that appropriately. On the first side, especially if you grew up in the West, if you come from a charismatic or Pentecostal background, typically, God is behind everything. Everything's a miracle. Everything's a new word from God. Uh, We were part of a church that I loved many years ago, but I can't tell you how many Sundays someone got up and says, the Lord says, God showed me, God said. And we were open. We were open, Lord, you know, what are you saying? You know, what do you want? But the truth was, the longer time went on, there appeared to be no fruit from all of these words from God. And so I would tell my wife, thinking of the old, I think, Burger King hamburger commercial, I would my phrase about church was, where's the beef? There's all these things God's saying. God's up to all this stuff, but where's the beef? Where's the fulfillment? Where's the fruit? After a while, you start saying, I'm not sure God's really speaking. And as Christians, we want to believe God is at work. And if he's not at work in the ways we think he should be, sometimes we want to help him along. And we want to exaggerate things. Uh, Miraculous healing. God healed my bruised toe. How long did that take? Well, it took about two or three weeks. Is that really a miracle? I'm serious. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, a miracle technically is when God suspends the laws of nature to accomplish something that otherwise could not occur. Now, in general, when we do this as Christians, we're not trying to dishonor God. That's not our intent. But if we're saying God's speaking when God is not speaking, and if we're claiming a miracle for God that other people would not recognize as a miracle, if we're stretching the truth for God's sake, God and the truth do not need help. You know when we exaggerate something, do you know what we're really saying? We don't think the truth can stand on its own feet. And when we exaggerate what we think God is up to, we don't think what God's doing is enough. God and the truth do not need help. They don't need a PR guy. They don't need our exaggeration. So on one hand, we want to be circumspect. We want to be thoughtful. If we think God spoke, we want to be careful and say, did God really speak? Careful about it on one hand, okay? Thoughtful. Not exaggerate. If we're prone to exaggeration, I hold that. What did God really do? That's one side. Careful. The flip side is this. We really do live in what's called the age of the Spirit. And, you know, I love some of the opening words in the book of Acts where Luke records these are the things that Jesus continued to do. And do you know that when you read the book of Acts, Luke says theologically you're reading the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Spirit, through the apostles and the church. And though the Bible is complete, and there's no word from God today that's on equal par with the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the standard by which we judge everything else, the acts of the apostles in the large sense, they've never ended. The the book of Acts, that's complete. But Jesus is still at work in the world through his church by his Spirit. That's what's still going on. And so, you know, you read when Peter pulls up a lame guy at the temple in Jesus' name, that's a real miracle, really happened. And the early church prays in Acts 4 and 5, and they pray, God, 
Would you confirm the name of your servant Jesus through signs and wonders? And that's exactly what you see. And I believe God still speaks today. Not as the Bible, but I believe God still speaks and gives impressions. I believe God still heals and works miracles. I think generally the stuff I see late night on Saturday, Saturday nights here on whatever the religious channel is, I don't think a lot of that is what God's doing. But you go to the third world, people raised from the dead, people healed miraculously on the spot, that stuff is really going on. Occasionally it happens here too. So God is still at work? Absolutely. The Spirit's still at work? Absolutely. Still exalting Jesus' name? Absolutely. And when God does that, we should acknowledge that. And we should honor God and God's name by thanking him and by declaring to other people, we prayed and this is what God did. When Kathy and I were first married and I was out of work and we had bills to pay and uh, with nothing on the horizon for that day, we sat, prayed together at breakfast and I said, Lord, would you bless, make successful this fishing trip I'm about to go on today. I'm going to go out and fish. I can't find a job. I'm going to go fish. And, and I don't mind saying a point blank, God said no. God said no. If Jesus had stood in front of me, it couldn't have been any clearer. No loud and clear. And I'm like, Wow. Okay, Uh, called my friend. I said, Joe, I can't go fishing today. I'm not sure why, but I know God has said don't go fishing. So I got a call later that morning. I went to see a guy about a job. He referred me to his brother who was a Christian, and I got my employment for the next five years because I was home and not fishing. And God spoke. So I'm not saying God doesn't speak today. God does speak. God does act. The the care here is not saying God spoke if he didn't, not saying God acted if he didn't, not exaggerating what, what God is up to on one side. On the other, really thanking God when he answers prayer, really telling others God heard, God acted. Guys, read the magazines we put on the back tables from Gospel for Asia and Voice of the Martyrs. They're really, God is doing the miraculous today. In other parts of the world especially where Jesus' name has not been heard before. And folks who know Christ are going in and they're praying for people and they're being healed and they're trusting Christ for the first time. So care on one side and then really giving God honor and praise on the other when we know he's spoken, when we know he's acted, when we know he has answered prayer. So this is a huge area, I think, for us because it's thoughtless. It's thoughtless. Another form of uh, using God's name in vain is kind of a minor one, but I suppose it just bugs me, so I'm sharing it with you this morning. Uh, Christian voodoo emails, you guys get these? They're forwarded, forwarded, forwarded versions of a message from God, prayer to God which if you forward it to 10 of your friends or family, God will bless you uniquely that day or in three days or whatever. But, you know, some of them, if you fail to, God is going to curse you. And, guys, those emails, that is vanity to God's name. And I hope you do what I do. I deep file straight across to my trash. I don't forward those, and I hope you don't either. That's vanity to God's name. Who are they to say what, who is God's going to bless and who he's going to curse based on what they do with a forwarded email? This is vanity. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, 
uh, this is the biggie. This is sort of the catch-all. We attach vanity to God in Jesus' name when we as Christians say and do things which are unworthy of our God before a watching world. Guys, you know the Christian evangelical world regularly takes God's name in vain before the watching world. We do it by the stupid things we say and the stupid things we do, the sinful, immoral things we do. In Ezekiel's day, in Ezekiel 36, God said through Ezekiel to Israel, he says, I'm going to act to deliver here. And I'm acting for my own name's sake. And the reason I'm doing this is you have profaned my name among the nations. Yahweh says to his covenant people, you've trashed my name before the Gentiles by the way you've lived. Remember, Israel's the only place in the world that's identified with Yahweh. You can't find him anyplace else. And God says of Israel's use of his name, he says you've trashed it before the nations. And so I'm acting now to honor, to salvage my name because of the way you have dishonored it. So for you and I, Hopefully people around you know you're Christians. If we're not sharing the gospel, we're not doing the most basic thing God's left us on the earth to do. Hopefully we're sharing the gospel with those around us. And having done so, does our speech, do our actions, do the things we don't say or don't join in, is our life a testament to Jesus and our claiming his name? Are people surprised to learn we're a Christian when they've heard the way we talk or see the things we do? Is our life consistent with our claim of being Christians, Christ followers? Do we dishonor the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, by the way we live, by the things we say to the world around us? And the world is watching. You know, none of us are perfect. And we all sin. We all sin all the time. I'm not saying that we're trying to live up to a standard of perfection to the world around us. We're not going to. It's not going to happen. So we're not talking about that. But you know, if my fellow worker knows I'm a Christian and I take God's name verbally in vain in front of him, you know what I should do? I should tell him I blew it when I did that. That was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. We should simply fess up. Come clean and say what I said or what I did was wrong. And I, don't, I, I try not to use God's name that way. And when I do, it's wrong, and I just want to let you know. I don't want to dishonor God's name before you. And when I do, I want to fess up and say, I'm sorry, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. We we hollow, we hallow, we make holy God's name. When we come back and do that, we're telling people we're faulty. We don't want to be hypocritical. God's not worthy of us using his name that way. We blew it. I'm sorry. So we can do that. But we as Christians, we dishonor God's name, we attach it to vanity when we're not living lives consistent with our claim as Christ's followers. Are we honoring God's name by the way we live? A couple brief examples of this. 1 Timothy 6, there were a lot of slaves in the early church, Christians who were slaves. Slavery was common in that time of the world. And Paul told slaves, he said, give your masters uh, all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. 
Getting their freedom was not Paul's first priority for these slaves. He does talk about that in 1 Corinthians 7. But here he says to slaves, listen, serve your masters in such a way that you adorn the name of Jesus in the gospel. You don't want your masters who probably don't know Christ, you don't want them to reject Christ and the faith because of your disrespect. No, even as a slave... Show honor to your masters so that they're not put off about Jesus and the gospel. Second Peter 2, a similar theme. Peter there speaks about false teachers who lead others astray. And he says, because of them, the way of the truth is maligned, spoken evil against. Guys, we see this in the States regularly. You know, when the next mega Christian star falls in some sexual sin or some financial impropriety, You know, I'm God's man doing God's things, God's way, and then the bottom falls out. And that's what this is talking about. Same thing. We use God's name in vain. So, the obvious uh, lies, swearing in God's name, God's name in vain, the less obvious things like just not living up in the ways we should be, exaggerating what God's done, using God's name in a way he would not sanction using Jesus' name in a trite fashion, all things we should avoid. There's a warning here. Yahweh will not leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain. Boy, if that's the case, there's a lot of punishment coming, isn't there? If God's name used in vain elicits God's punishment, there's a lot of punishment coming. The same passage we started with, Leviticus 24, God said there in the law, if anyone curses his God, he will bear his sin The one who blasphemes the name of Yahweh will surely be put to death. That was in the covenant. That was the penalty for abusing God's name. We don't see anything quite like this in the New Testament. We do have a warning by Jesus in Matthew 12, 36, where he says, Every careless word people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Now, to reiterate, if you're a Christian, your sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven in Christ. You're not going to stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment to determine, do you go to heaven or hell? You've already passed, John 5 says, out of judgment into life. But you and I will stand before Jesus at a time called the Bema seat, the judgment throne of Christ, in which he tests the quality of the works of our life and the words of our life. And Paul says in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it's as if our life represents material that Jesus puts a match to. And the things that burn up, those are the things that weren't up to God's standard for our life. And the abuse of his name would certainly fall in that category. If we use Jesus and God's name in vain, that's going to burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. We want our words to stand the test of God's fire. We want the words of our mouth to reflect God's truth. We want them to be able to come through that fire. Or here too, God may discipline us for using his name in vain. You know, God's a faithful father. And as a faithful dad, he chastises, he disciplines, he trains his children. Hebrews is quite clear about this. So if we're using God's name in vain as God's child, we may find that he chastises us, that he disciplines us so that we say, okay, Lord, I get it. I know what this is about. If there's some difficulty in your life, you're sick, you've had unusual troubles, Uh, don't mistake me. If God wants to get your attention, you'll know. 
And sometimes he does that through difficulty and sometimes he does it through the scriptures. But if we just go through the normal sufferings of life and God's not making something clear otherwise, don't assume that God's chastising you. If, if he is, you'll know. His spirit's good about that and he's good about that. So God values his name because it represents him and his perfection. And it says he'll hold us accountable for the way we use it. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you know, from the law, we know God says it's my covenant name I don't want abused, Yahweh. I am that I am. You see something similar, perhaps we could say a transfer of the value of the name to Jesus in the New Testament in Philippians 2. And by the way, this quote, it's a familiar quote to most of you, I'm sure, out of Philippians 2. This quote has a direct reference out of Isaiah 45 to Yahweh. Yahweh and Jesus are identified exactly as the same person here by two different names. So Philippians 2, it says, God, we infer the Father, highly exalted him, that would be Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every name will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that the same kind of reverence and holy use Yahweh demanded for himself is also true now of Jesus by name in the New Testament. So we should treat Jesus' name with the same kind of respect God commanded of the Jews for the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. There are benefits also. Each week we've talked about obeying or keeping the command positively or not breaking it negatively. You know, the first thing is we simply avoid God's chastisement for abusing his name. Avoiding discipline is a good thing in my book. If I don't have to be punished, if I don't have to have pain, shall be inflicted on me so that I use God's name right, I'm good with that. So just avoiding chastisement, this is adequate motivation for me to be careful about how I'm using God's name. But you know, also as Christians... We love our Father, we love our Savior. We get to bring glory and honor to God when we speak of him reverently to others or when we remind others of the value of his name. We get to honor our Father by name to others. This is a good thing. We get to be God's witnesses when we bring Jesus' name into our conversations. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm in a conversation with someone And I want to say the Lord's name, and I feel queasy about it. And when I feel queasy, I make sure that I bring Jesus' name in because I don't want sort of a kind of anxiety or fearfulness about, will they think I'm weird, is this odd, whatever. The Lord is a part of my life as much as breath is. So if I bring Jesus by name into my conversations, this is a good thing. And I don't mean tritely. I mean really, the way where we we really live, where we really exist, what we really are or are about. To bring Jesus by name into these conversations is a good thing. We get to be a part of speaking Jesus' name to others. And the last thing, when we pray in Jesus' name, this is a high, high benefit. When we pray in Jesus' name, God the Father hears us. And you know, on the vanity end of things, if we pray tritely in Jesus' name, it's a mantra. You know, it's just something we throw in at the end of every prayer. That's not really praying in Jesus' name. Because to pray in Jesus' name means to pray what Jesus would pray. It means he signed a check and we're writing who it's to or for the amount, but it's as he would write the check 
To pray in Jesus' name means to pray God's will as Jesus himself would. But you know the scripture says in 1 John, when we pray in Jesus' name, we know the Father hears us and therefore we know we have the answer to our prayer. So when we're praying, by the way, this is why it's important, another reason to know our Bibles. Can you pray God's will if you don't know it? You know, one of the things about prayer, when we pray for ourselves or others, we should be praying God's will. God's will is revealed in the scriptures. Then we know we have confidence. We're praying in Jesus' name. This is what Jesus prayed for. These are the things that were important to the Lord. And that's what we're praying for each other. So we have confidence when we pray in Jesus' name the way he's told us to. This is a huge blessing in using God's name positively. The last thing I want to do is sort of breeze through a quick list of some of the best uses of God's name. We've talked about don't break a rule. Don't use the name in vain. But also we want to use God's name the way he wants us to, positively. So let me breeze through this rather quickly. Uh, Acts 4.12, Peter was saying uh, right after the Spirit was given and the early church is proclaiming Christ as the Messiah, Pete there says, there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul says in Romans 10, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, if you're not absolutely certain and sure you're a Christian, that your sins have been covered, and if you died this moment, you'd go straight to heaven and see God face to face. If you're not absolutely sure, this is the best use. This is the only use of God's name for you. Call on Jesus' name and be saved. God, I get it, I hear it, Jesus, save me. God, save me in Jesus' name. Lord, I accept Jesus' payment on my behalf. I'm calling on your name. The best use of Jesus' name, of God's name, if you're not sure right now you're a Christian. Matthew 6, 9, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you remember part of what he said? This isn't formulaic so much as it's an example of the kinds of things to pray. And one of them was, hallowed be your name. God, may your name be holy. And that means may you help me keep your name and make your name holy in the things I say and the way I live. God, make your name holy through my life in prayer. Acts 16, 18. This should not be overlooked, by the way. And if you've been in the, I think it's perspectives class, uh, you've probably heard this too. Acts 16, 18. Paul confronts a young lady who has a demon. And the demon gives her the ability to tell people things that she, she wouldn't otherwise know and they wouldn't know. And Paul commands the demon in Jesus' name to come out, and it does. And guys, Satan's still alive and active in the world, and demons are still at work, and in various parts of the world, various places, Satan uses different tactics. But people still get demonized. Christians still get demonized where the enemy's trying to harm you in one way or another. Guys, we have authority in Jesus' name over Satan and demons, over the unclean spiritual world. And when you know you're confronted or someone else is confronted by the enemy, we have authority in Jesus' name over that demon. And we can cast them out in Jesus' name just as Paul did. We have authority in the spiritual realm in Jesus' name. Acts 4.30 The early church prayed that God would honor Jesus' name by those signs and wonders and miracles, and he did. And you still see this going on in the world today. Psalm 50, God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. 
I'll rescue you, and you'll honor me. And by the way, this is a formula you see through the Psalms. God says, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to call on my name. I'm going to come in and deliver you, and you're going to turn around and give thanks back to my name. When we have trouble in our life, and it's sure to come, Lord, I'm praying in your name. What do you want me to do? What's your answer? And when we see God's answer, we say, Lord, thanks. Thanks for hearing our prayer and answering in Jesus' name. Matthew 18, guys, we gather on Sunday morning to Jesus' name. Where two or three are gathered, in my name, Jesus says, I'll be there in your midst. That's the promise we count on. When we're here on Sunday mornings and we pray the Spirit's at work, I know the Spirit's here because Jesus said, if only two or three, that's small a number, gathers together in my name, I'm there. I know the Spirit's here because we've gathered in Jesus' name. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus told the disciples, when those folks have believed and you baptize them, you baptize them to the name of God, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. We're initiated into the family, the body of Christ, through the name of God. Psalm 66, 2, something for moments from now. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. When we come together to worship, we should be heartfelt, sincere, overflowing with thanks and praise to God directly to him. I know we come in on the Sundays, maybe we're down, maybe physically we're down, maybe emotionally we're down. But when we come to declare God's praises, we should do so with all that we are, with all that we can muster, because he's worthy of that. Number six is uh, the, the blessing God told Aaron to pronounce on Israel. And it's Yahweh's name each time. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's Yahweh bless you and keep you. And guys, one of the things we can do for each other, we can bless each other in God's name. We're all priests. In the new covenant, we're all priests. There's no Levitical priesthood today. We can bless each other. If we're praying by ourselves for someone, if we're praying with each other, we bless you in Jesus' name. We ask God's blessing on you in Jesus' name, just like Aaron did for Israel. And last, sort of the catch-all, Paul said in Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That we're to see our life as a calling card for Jesus Christ specifically. All that we do, all that we say done in Jesus' name to the glory of God the Father. This thing is uh, it's a big, big deal to know God and that God has told us his name. And he doesn't want us to use it carelessly, thoughtlessly, but he does want us to use it. And we can call on him to be saved and we can bless others in his name. We can pray in Jesus' name. We can use Jesus' authority by Jesus' name. So there's a a host of negatives to avoid, but boy, there's a whole lot of positives to practice in using the name of God, Yahweh in the Old Testament and Jesus today. Father, thank you that we know the one whose name is above every other name. Lord, thank you that we know the one before whom all heaven and earth shall one day bow in submission, in recognition that he is Lord over all lords and king over all kings. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be thoughtful 
as we pray or as we speak, as we act at work or at play. Lord, would you help us to honor your name? Would you help us refrain from abusing it in any way? Would you help us to lift it up in a way that honors you and reminds the world that God has provided a Savior in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.